Well, hello and welcome to Finding Our Way, our Southridge Church member podcast designed to give people the inside scoop on life in our church. Here's our host and lead pastor, Jeff Lockyer. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Finding Our Way. I uh, got a real fun conversation today because if you've tracked with us at all, you know that you know, sometimes we profile leaders, sometimes we dig into some kind of vision and direction, sort of leading edge thinking. Sometimes we hear from voices in our broader vision. Uh, sometimes we hear from some emerging gen. But on the rare occasion, we just flat out enjoy uh, a personal story of what God's been doing in someone's life. And today, uh, someone who's played a number of those other roles in these podcasts and actually been a, a co-host at times uh, along with me, uh, is going to share some of the recent experience in their life, just at a personal level. So I want to welcome back Carrie Jones. Carrie, how you doing? Good. Thanks for having me on here. Uh, I'll ask you as the opener how things are going in your world these days, but I don't mean in the deeper sense. So just give me the <laughs> surface answer. Things are going well. Probably the biggest change since I've been on the podcast last is just, you know, uh, the number of people that live in my house are increasingly shrinking. So, so, you know, we, these days it's Steve and Beth and I, and both of our older girls, Eva and Grace in the last, I don't know, six or seven months have gotten married and moved out. And so that's probably the biggest personal change just, um, yeah. And is the house any quieter? Like, how does that feel? Or are they still over all the time? I mean, when they're over, it's it's definitely full and lively, and yet there's a lot of quiet moments. And probably the biggest change is, you know, the house just stays a little bit cleaner. I can imagine that's not much of a bad thing. So, <laughs> well, listen, this is going to be a fun conversation, and I think uh, a, a lot for us both as, as Southridge members and, and leaders listening to enjoy to take in. Uh, so, why don't we dive in and just give us kind of the the backstory? of the past year and of the fall season that uh, kind of awakened you to all of what happened in the past number of months? For sure. I guess I would take you back um, last December, right before Christmas. We were just getting ready to decorate gingerbread houses with our friends, the Thompsons. If you know the Thompsons, it's a bit of a, a longstanding tradition we've had with them for, oh, I don't know, probably 20 years. And um, just before that, I got a really acute pain in my appendix area and called my family doctor. My family doctor really encouraged me to go to the hospital, just have it looked at because it was right before Christmas. I didn't want it to like erupt over the holidays. And so I kind of reluctantly went to the hospital, especially because, you know, COVID and all the things. And anyways, spent whole, I think I was there about eight hours to the early hours of the next morning. And as I was there, the pain subsided, which was great. Um, and the doctor spoke with me at the end of the my time there and said, you know, your appendix is fine. It's a bit irritated, but it's going to be just fine. But we found these two spots on your pancreas and um, I wouldn't worry about it. It's probably nothing. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be concerned, but it's worth doing a follow-up MRI um, just to have a closer look. And so I, I'm going to schedule that for January. I'm like, okay, sure. No problem. They didn't seem worried. I wasn't worried. I went for the MRI in January um, and they called me about a week later. My family doctor called me about a week later and said, yeah, there's, there's two little spots. They're just kind of like little cysts, like a little bubble of fluid. They're harmless. Um, we'll monitor them. Let's look at them one more time in August just to be sure. 
I'm like, okay, great, no problem. And so as, you know, the summer was going on, I kind of flipped ahead of my calendar and I was like, oh yeah, I have the MRI. And part of me was like, do I really need that? I'm sure it's fine. But it was there and I was like, no, no, I'll go. And so I went for this early morning MRI in August, August 17th. And um, I had a weird feeling actually when I was there. They just seemed to be taking a longer amount of time than I expected taking photographs. And my family doctor called me the afternoon to let me know that there was concern and that I was getting immediately um, referred to Jurovinsky in Hamilton. So that was kind of um, that was kind of how that all started. I don't know if you want me to keep going, but no, I remember you know back then you, you know you and I would talk about this once in a while, and you you referred to them as these these two little air bubbles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I have these two little air bubbles, and and. And, you know, even at that original uh, MRI wondering, you know, or or that secondary MRI, like, did they, did they just merge and now they're a bigger air bubble or whatever? Like, it it didn't seem like you were even that, that frazzled then, even though they're using language like Jervinsky and the doctor's calling you like the afternoon of, and there, there seemed to be some clues there that I don't know if we were all picking up on or not, but even then, like, would you, would you acknowledge that you were pretty like chill about it? Yeah, I think looking back, it was probably a bit of a coping mechanism because, you know, I'm smart enough to know that you don't get referred to to Jurovinsky for nothing. Um, And yeah, I think, I think I was probably just kind of, it was my way of coping Um, because even, so, so, August 17th, I have this MRI. They call me back that afternoon and say, hey, listen, these two spots have merged together and grown. And we don't know what's going on, but we got to get you to Jurovinsky ASAP. <clears throat> and I was like, oh, okay. And so um, I hadn't heard from Jurovinsky. And so I called the specialist myself the next week just to say, hey, I know I've been referred to, to this doctor. You know, Can you give me any idea of when my appointment might be? And she said, you know what, we're just waiting for the date, but I can see at the top of your file here that it says you're high risk and that this is urgent. And so then I started to be like, okay, this is not nothing. But even when I went to Jervinsky September 1st, um, I went a little bit naively. In fact, I was planning to go alone and it wasn't until right before the appointment that a friend of mine said like, can I come with you? I really think you need somebody with you at this appointment. And of course, in hindsight, Steve should have been there. But again, I think that was all part of the denial. And so September 1st, um, the team of doctors sat me down and said, you know, you have a tumor in your pancreas and um, we don't know if it's cancer yet or not until we get in there. But we know based on what we're seeing that if it's not yet cancer, it will be very, very quickly. So we need to get out of you immediately. And we've already got the OR um, set aside for you on September 13th. And so that was a lot. That was a lot. And that's obviously when it all began to to hit me on September 1st. Yeah, so you suddenly find yourself on September 1st requiring emergency surgery, surgery within the next couple of weeks. Talk about some of the things at the time that were going through your head. Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, I did, I did what you're never supposed to do. I just started to Google things. And so... <laughs> So based on that, I was pretty sure that I would be dead by Christmas. Um, But of course, you know, that was the wrong thing to do. Uh, The things that were going through my head, I I mean, I was equal parts, like, I think it just, it just woke me up. 
Like I was just very alert all of a sudden. Um, and I was living with a, a great deal of uncertainty. And I was also very grateful that this had been caught really by accident. And I was grateful that I had gotten in so quickly and grateful that they were taking care of it so quickly. So I was feeling, you know, grateful and also just very, I don't know, like, yeah, it just is one of those moments where you just quickly realize that life is precious. So you've got less than two weeks before this emergency, you know, pancreatic tumor removal surgery. Yeah. Uh, can you talk about what kinds of things you were focusing on in advance of the September 13th surgery date? Like you had less than two weeks. So all of a sudden, right. what are you doing? Day -day? <laughs> how, how are you spending your time then? Yeah. So I, September the 1st, I mean, it's funny how things just get locked in your, in your memory. Um, it was a Thursday and that was the Thursday before Labor Day weekend. And so Labor Day weekend, um, uh, Steve and I actually had taken our trailer to a, a friend's farm and we were just kind of camping out for the weekend. Our kids had plans. And so we had this weekend set aside and that was kind of the weekend where we just let it land and just kind of tried to absorb, <clears throat> excuse me, what, what this was, because it was, it was big. And we were starting to tell like inner circle friends and, and family and, and whatnot. Um, and then it was coming out of that weekend. I remember very distinctly on the Monday of that weekend being like, okay, I have felt all the big feelings. I've cried a lot. I've processed this. And now we got a lot to do before September 13th. And so then it was really about just delegating all of my responsibilities to everybody. Um, so there was obviously, you know, a ton of work responsibilities, which I handed off to all my teammates as best I could. Um, you know, the launch of Brave Girls, um, not to mention we had a wedding in four weeks. So there was just a lot of giving away responsibility in a very quick amount of time. Um, yeah. I, and the other, other thing I will say is in those days before I even knew about the tumor. So when I found out I had this appointment at Jervinsky, I remember having this, this quiet time with God and just setting these like making these three decisions, kind of setting these three intentions and being like, okay, I don't know what's ahead of me, but I know three things for sure. I'm going to choose life. I'm going to choose life. Whatever I feel, all emotions, I'm welcoming them and I'm going to feel them. I'm not going to suppress any emotions. And then the last one was this um, interesting piece where I was like, I'm going to trust my body. And I know it'd be really easy right now to like be angry at my body, turn on my body, disassociate from my body. And I'm going to trust my body and be really tender with, with my actual physical body in the season. And so those, and I say that because those three intentions really did guide me in this journey. And I really kept coming back to them. Um, but anyways, coming out of that Labor Day weekend, I just started making lists and trying as imperfectly as I could to give away everything, which I was completely unprepared for and probably didn't do super well. Yeah, it was interesting how just watching after the first, and especially, like you said, after that camping weekend, you know, had about a week or eight days or whatever uh, before the surgery, how administrative your life was suddenly. Yeah. Like it was just lists and meetings and lists and meetings and lists and meetings and handoffs and handoffs. And so 
it's interesting you talk about those three commitments because my next question was going to be like in those in, in those initial moments in that sort of short season how would you say pre-surgery you were experiencing god you've heard this news you don't know what to make of it you're a little bit maybe in shock or denial or whatever coping um how are you experiencing god in that in that season it was a very profound spiritual experience because the best way I can describe it is I kind of think of a, a bit of a, down, a spiral. Usually we say a downward spiral is, is not a positive thing, but in this case, it was like a, a spiral that was drilling down. And I just found myself dropping into this place where like my responsibilities were just like being given away and every everything about me kind of like all of my roles didn't matter. And I just dropped into this place of recognizing and not just like in my head, but knowing, like feeling and knowing in the very core of me that the very and most true piece about me is that I am a beloved child of God, period. Whatever happens, that is who I am. And that's the place from which I'm going to go through this journey. And it just centered me and grounded me. And again, I came back to it like again and again and again and again. Yeah. Do you think, do you think that most people, do you think that most people can get there without being told that they've got emergency life-saving surgery and finding themselves coping in whatever way or trying to rush through delegating because they've got eight days before the surgery like that? Do you think that can happen outside of that? I mean, I mean, I would love to say yes, and pro- I don't know the answer. I know that this is how I got there, and I don't. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, this this would be one of many gifts in all of it. Is is like I live with like a knowing that I didn't have before. Like it's a deeper knowing of like no matter what this is who I am and nothing and no one and yeah, can ever take that away from me. And it's just the most true thing about me. And so, I mean, Richard Rohr says that we're transformed through two things, great love and great suffering. So this was probably my, as close as I've gotten to suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned the word gifts because I've, I've titled this podcast interruptions as invitations. And I know that that was a, a quote or a, a, an idea hmm. that before any of this, you had kind of uh, been reflecting on or wanting to kind of commit to or almost be better at Yeah, seeing interruptions as, as invitations. And it feels like this, in a lot of ways, sort of became that for you. And I, I want to kind of dive in, especially post-surgery, because... Obviously, the first number of days after the surgery are focused on just pure physical healing. But once you started to kind of physically stabilize, talk about the kinds of things then that just in the quietness of having handed everything off and just being alone with God or, you know, by yourself or with some of your close peeps, like what did you start thinking about and what what was that reflection period like? Yeah, that was... um... Yeah, that was interesting. I mean, I will say my my world became very, very small. And it doesn't mean that I didn't have lots of people around me, but small in the sense of like, 
you know, I went from having a pretty aggressive to-do list every day to now my to-do list is like, drink water, take meds, um, you know, walk around if you can. And so my world just became very, very small and I had a lot of time. And I think initially in that post, post-surgery time period, what I probably spent some time thinking about was just recognizing how differently this could have played out and recognizing how close I had come, um, just facing my own mortality, which, you know, I'm, I'm turning 50 soon, which turning 50, facing that feels big, but facing mortality, it was something I did not think I would ever have to face for, not ever have to face for a long time. And it probably didn't help that, you know, every time my doctor would call me and check on me or at the hospital, come visit me, he kept, you know, throwing around language and telling me, um, you know, he would often say, oh, the life-saving surgery or the surgery that saved your life. And, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is massive. So I think the weight of that was, was actually starting to land on me in those days following surgery. Um, and I just had like some pretty big emotions. And again, tr- being true to my intention, I was just letting myself feel all the feelings. Yeah, I mean, from a medical perspective, I know this through our, our conversations, the, the kind of stumbling into discovering this almost by accident or, or by fluke yeah. was a, a really rare early detection, isn't it? You know, most people in the case of pancreatic tumors only discover them uh, because they're symptomatic at like stage four. That's right. And, you know, by the time they're they're... Uh, by the time they're at stage four, you're, it's like, what is it? 91%, you know, people are lost in six months or three years or something. The the odds are not good. No. And to to stumble on this so early. And then I know, you know, obviously the, the big anxiety wasn't just the surgery and recovering from the surgery, but the, the biopsy of the, of the tumor itself and to right. find out both in the early and then in the more detailed biopsy that the, the biopsy results were benign. I mean, mm. there really is a dodged a bullet feeling to all this. Oh, yeah. And again, you know, the, the doctors, like, this is exactly what they wanted and hoped for and why they were so aggressive. And they they would say, like, this never happens and it's an absolute miracle and we love it when it does happen. And so all of that is just... I think just in the silence, in the quiet, in the recovery, I was just absorbing that. That was big for me. I was also by this point starting to hear stories, you know, you know, that people would reach out and be like, oh my gosh, like you're so lucky because my uncle had this happened to them and they were dead in three months. Or, you know, like I was hearing all of the worst case stories afterwards. And that probably also just added to the holy cow, like what on earth just happens? Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing, like you said, there were some days where your major achievement was taking your meds or <laughs> getting to the washroom or ultimately, you know, having a shower or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it was pretty quiet in your world for a while, but eventually you started to be able to visit a little bit more and, and experience some community. Um, how would you say, especially in those earlier post-surgery moments, you were experiencing God through the people around you? What role did they play? Yeah, I was definitely experiencing God through others. I it wasn't like in those days I was having, you know, these mountaintop moments <clears throat> of like 
prayer and intimacy with God, I was literally in so much pain and discomfort. I wasn't, I wasn't even really able to pray. Um, but it was through, it was definitely through others that I experienced God and that I experienced the church. Um, and I mean, I've been a part of a local church my whole life. Um, I've been a part of Southridge for 21 years and, you know, after having been on staff and being been an elder and been in leadership roles for, you know, quite a long time, it was interesting to be on the other side. And what I mean by that is like, I, I was on the receiving end of ministry. Um, and that really flipped things upside down for me. I, if I'm honest, I'm not used to feeling this fragile, this vulnerable, this much in need. And God met me through, honestly, people caring for me, loving me, supporting me, being with me in my most fragile place. Yeah. Yeah, we talked uh, kind of in advance of your your medical leave, in advance of the 13th, about the idea of relinquishing the mm. role and the responsibility of leading the church and simply leaning back into the reality of needing the church. Yeah. And, you know, often you can sort of lean one way and especially leaders listening can lean one way and not really know what it's like to need the church and need community and, and receive ministry in that sense. And I know you've said a number of times that actually learning to simply just one directionally receive for a change, for a season, whatever has been uh, one of the real growth areas that you've experienced in all this. Oh, absolutely. I, I think one of the things I've learned very quickly is I'm terrible at receiving. Um, that's just not a gear that I am, have been good at. And so to be in a place where it's all you can do and you're constantly asking people for help, whether it's you know, things around my actual house, asking my husband to get up in the night with me to take me to the washroom or asking people to drive my daughter to school because I can't drive for weeks or asking my friends and coworkers to take my responsibilities. Like they just, the list go on and on. And so learning to receive has been, has been huge and, and has been beautiful. And it's been really how I've experienced God. And I think it's changed a lot of my relationships because there has just been an element in which people have gotten to know me maybe in a more human, vulnerable, fragile kind of way. And just even myself realizing like at the end of the day, I'm just a person. I'm just a person. And that's kind of how I got to be for that season. And it was really, yeah, vulnerable and beautiful. So I'm wondering in the spirit of this, this quote or phrase that you had brought unintentionally into this experience that interruptions can be invitations. Hmm. As you've reflected in kind of a fuller, deeper way now in the, 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 the months after, what do you feel this interruption invited you into the most? Yeah, the most. I think that well, it's funny that that phrase came out of a trip to Italy in July where, and I, I forget who coined that phrase. I didn't, I didn't create that phrase. I'm trying to remember where I kind of stole it from. Um, but my experience in Italy, and I mean, of course, I'm there on vacation, but my experience in Italy, in Italy was just um, really captured by the way that people move at a different pace. 
and, you know, an interruption in the day. Again, I'm such a, you know, I love my lists and I love to like feel like I'm doing things and accomplishing things and moving things forward. And so um, I'm not always good with interruptions. And I, I felt like in the culture in Italy, there, there was a sense in which interruptions weren't interruptions. They were invitations into, a, you know, another conversation or something else or switching of plans. And I was like, ah, that's so scary. But I also loved it. And I think for me, um, one of the, or maybe, maybe the, the biggest um, invitation in all of this is slowing down and moving at a different pace. And I guess I would phrase it as like moving at the pace of relationships. Whereas maybe previously I had been more about tasks, something shifted in me to relationships because of how much I needed relationships and how much I depended on relationships and how much it really was a big part of my healing. Um, I just look at relationships differently. So now that you're back in the groove, again, this is segue into my next question. Now that you're back in the groove after your medical leave, I mean, first things first, how are you feeling physically these days? Yeah, I'm, I definitely don't want to complain because again, I've had my life saved. So, um, I want to put everything under the umbrella of just like extreme gratitude. Um, and I will say this before I talk about the physical, it, the, the one um, Bible passage that really um, has been one I keep coming back to is the story of Jesus healing the 10 lepers and the one comes back to thank him. And I, I just want to live my, my life, the rest of my life as that I want to be the one that comes back and not just thanks in that moment, but I want, my, I want my whole life to exude that gratitude. So I just want to put all of that under the umbrella of gratitude. That's just been a, a huge piece for me. And physically, you know, I will say the recovery has taken longer than I thought. Um, and I don't know if that's because, you know, I'm not 20 anymore. The surgery was probably more um, detailed than even I realized. I learned that pretty quickly. Um, and so I'm probably at about 80%. You know, I'm I'm back. I'm good. I'm grateful to be back at work and church and and doing all the things. And I go to bed a lot of nights at eight thirty, and I get pretty tired easily. And things take me a bit longer than they used to. You know, so there's still an element of which I'm still getting there. Yeah, you and I talked about a, a mutual doctor friend of ours who had said to me just after your surgery that that extreme depth and intensity of, of procedure is kind of six weeks of intense recovery, six months of running out of gas and just being tired. Yeah. And then like a whole year of regaining your former kind of full capacity and life and vibrancy. So it was interesting when I shared that with you, because I think for both of us, that mm -hmm. had a much a much longer restorative and recovery vision in mind than maybe at least you would assume. So um, it, totally. it sounds like you've been already experiencing some of that. Hey, I run out of gas easily now. Totally. And I mean, I don't have a playbook for this. This is new for me. This is new. I don't have a lot of people that have gone through something like this. So I just assumed, you know, I had eight week leave from work. I'm like, okay, on November 7th, I'll be back and I'll be all back. And I'm mostly back, but there is, there is a sense in which, yeah, I'm, I'm still running out of gas and, and that's okay. And I, again, like, you know, when you talk about gifts, one of the big gifts is just, I've learned 
how to be gentle and patient with myself. I can't rush this. And so, um, and I'm moving in a forward direction. And again, all under the just extreme umbrella of like immense and ridiculous gratitude. Yeah. And as you look forward, you'd already talked about kind of a shift in you moving at the pace of relationship. Anything else that you would recognize already in how you're different because of all of this or how you aspire to be different because of all of this? Yeah. And some of it is still unfolding. Some of it I still don't totally have language for, but I feel different. Um, yeah. I, I want to, and am moving more at the pace of relationships. You know, I, I tell people I love them. Like I, I'm probably weird and awkward that way, but I hang up the phone with my sisters now and say, I love you. I tell my friends, I love them. Like life just feels so precious. And I just want, I just want to live into that. Um, I think I'm different, you know, as we open up this podcast, just I'm so aware of the sacredness of my life and my own belovedness. And what does it mean to really live from that place and to treat everybody else in such a way that they know their belovedness? Um, I think that's a, a huge piece. I think this whole process just made me more human and I don't want to leave that behind. And so um, how do I continue to, you know, I've, yeah, how do I continue to let people really get to know the parts of me that are maybe the most uncomfortable or raw or human and realize that that's actually the point? Um, and as I mentioned before too, like I think I really – I really trust and honor my body in a different way than I did before. And that's, I think, a bit of a journey for females, especially that um, has been something that I've just really come to grow in. So those are a few of the gifts. Um, and I feel more alive and more myself than I think I have in a long time. Well, that's fantastic. I, I really appreciate you, Carrie, uh, taking time not to sort of leader to leader, but uh leader to person or friend to person. You say I'm just a person, actually. <laughs> um, it's been great to, to connect with you uh, during this conversation, I guess, as we wrap up thinking about our members and uh, other leaders who track with us that are listening. Uh, any final kind of encouragements or maybe challenges when it comes to this experience of navigating what would otherwise be seen as interruptions instead as invitations. I know that's what you were kind of processing in the summer in Italy that all of a sudden without knowing it kind of became your life in the last yeah. uh, almost six months. So uh, any final encouragements to, to people listening today? Yeah, I think, I think that when you have an interruption, um, whether it's a medical interruption, a relational interruption, something to do with employment, I mean, there's all, so many interruptions that can happen in life. I mean, I think we do have a choice, right? We can really resist and harden and, um, or we can walk through the door and trust that, you know, maybe, um, not, not to say that, you know, God intended it. And I don't believe that of course, but maybe God will meet me and maybe there's something transformative in this journey that, on the other side, you know, I can see the gifts in it and speak to the goodness and faithfulness of God. Um, I mean, my first Sunday in church, oh my goodness, I 
a couple weeks ago, um, one of the songs was just the the song about, you know, singing of the goodness and faithfulness of God. And I just remember like my hand raised in the air with just like tears streaming down my face, just like God is so good. And so I guess if we can see that there is an invitation to experience God, if we're willing to trust and walk through that door in a sense. I don't know if that answers your question. It, it your experience is going to answer my question. I, I I'm thinking about the, uh, the language of the apostle Paul, I believe it's to the Corinthians. I think it's in second Corinthians where he says, we, we not only shared the gospel with you, but our lives as well. Mm. And I hope, you know, in our, for our church members listening, but also for, for leaders who track with us who are listening to appreciate the power of not just sharing the gospel and not just sharing, uh, you know, the theological ideas or teachings of Jesus or even, you know, g- good leadership insights, but the power of actually sharing your lives with each other as well. And I appreciate you taking some time to do that with us today. It's been really uh, rich and, and, and powerful, I think, for those of us listening. So thanks so much for being here in this mode. I'm sure we'll see you again in uh, not a long amount of time back in, in leader mode on the podcast, but thanks for being a human for half an hour or so with us today. For sure. Thanks for having me. And for the rest of you, thanks for tracking with us again today. We'll see you in about seven days time as we continue finding our way together. Take care, everybody. Thank you.